I'd like for you to take just a moment and offer your personal praise to God and your thanksgiving to Him for the many gifts and blessings that He has sent your way personally, in your home life, in your work life, in the things that you do in this community. Take a moment to praise and thank God for His many blessings. The writer of 1 John tells us that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin, forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so this morning I want to invite you to confess and name the sin of your life right now and to allow God to cleanse you, to purify you, and to forgive you. Who are the people or, or where are the places that the Holy Spirit right now is inviting you to pray? Some friend, some family member, some situation in our world that is torn by war or violence or terrorism, something that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for or someone, would you offer a prayer of intercession? for that person or that situation. And how do you need to pray for yourself this morning? some challenge, some concern, something that you'll be facing in the coming week or that you've been facing for a long time. And you need God's healing hand upon your life. You need a sense of his direction or his guidance. What is that request for yourself that you need to make to God right now? And would you take a moment to not only pray for this, your church, but would you take a moment to pray for the church universal, that indeed, as Jesus prayed for us, that we may be one.
Oh God, our Heavenly Father, in the midst of the busyness and the noise and the distractions of life, we thank you that we can take just a few moments on this, your day, and this really our day, a time of rest and worship, to just be still. And as the psalmist reminds us to really know that you are our God. We've offered you our praise and our thanksgiving. We have confessed and named our sin and received your forgiveness. We have prayed for the needs of the world, and Lord, we have prayed for ourselves. We've even taken a moment, Lord, to pray for the work and ministry of this church and all churches around this globe that are seeking to do your work and your will. So now, as we turn our attention to once again hearing your word read and proclaimed, we pray for open hearts and ears and minds and eyes that we might see ourselves as you see us, that we might become more and more like the Jesus who walked this earth and who gave himself for us. So hear the prayers of your people this day. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you'll keep those Bibles open and turn with me to Psalm 133. It's been a lot of fun this year preaching out of the Psalms. And as we've said, you can take most Bibles, not all, but many Bibles, open them up in the middle, and you may hit one of the Psalms, right in the very middle of our Bibles. The, the Psalms were meant not only to be read, but to be sung in ancient Israel, in the temple and synagogue worship. I've said many times I would have loved to have had the tunes that were sung to these Psalms of ancient Israel. This particular Psalm is a Psalm that, that calls God's people together to a sense of unity and oneness and togetherness. Now, we've just read Jesus' great high priestly prayer that's found in John 17. It was prayed both for his disciples at that moment, but it was also prayed for his future disciples, meaning you and me. So both Jesus and both the writer of this psalm, they're on the same page. They're praying for us to have a sense of unity and oneness and purpose together. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. So, you know, Aaron was the priest. Eventually, his lineage became the, uh, the priestly, uh, did the priestly work of ancient Israel. And so they were anointed, they were commissioned, they were ordained for service. So dwelling together in unity as brothers and sisters is like that wonderful experience of anointing Aaron and all priests for the work of ministry. Verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon in the north of Israel, were falling on Mount Zion down in the south in the area of Jerusalem. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's been an interesting political year 
on the presidential level, to say the least, has it not? I don't know that we've ever seen a year like this. It seems that neither the Democratic nor the Republican side of the aisle has followed the norm of past election cycles. Typically, when candidates compete for their party's nomination, it works in this fashion. And you know how it works. I'm not telling you anything new. Typically, this is how it goes. Candidates trash one another during the primary season and portray their opponents as the very incarnation of evil itself. And then, after the primary season is over with and the individual has finally been nominated, all of the former competitors close ranks. They join hands. And now they portray their opponents in the upcoming November general election as the very incarnation of evil. Party leaders begin to call for unity, where candidates previously who have stabbed each other in the back now call the anointed nominee a saint as they're moving towards the fall election. You know how this works. But you know it's kind of interesting. This year... We've watched both sides of the political aisle struggle to find that sense of unity and togetherness and oneness. But you know what? That search for unity and together, togetherness and oneness is not something for which just the political world struggles. Unfortunately, those people who bear the name of Christ struggle with that unity and that oneness as well. I think that's probably why Jesus, who had that ability, he was the son of God, he had that ability to perhaps to look ahead somewhat. Maybe that's why he prayed in John chapter 17 for his future disciples, his future students to do one thing. He wanted them to learn how to play on the same team and join hands to do God's work. Now, you know, the Hebrew people understood something about playing together on the same team as evidenced in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers, and let's add in the phrase, and sisters dwell together in unity. In Hebrew life, the solidarity of family life and the worshiping community went together. We don't have multiple generations typically living with each other as the Hebrew people may have had several generations living together. If that's the case, families have to learn how to get along with each other. And certainly when the worshiping community was gathering in Hebrew life, they wanted them to be one. They wanted them to be together. Jesus knew that his marching orders for us demanded a oneness and a unity of purpose. Practicing a love and forgiveness which witnesses to a watching world of the truth and authenticity of our faith. But folks, I got some bad news to tell you. And it's news that you already know. Christian denominations and Christian churches and individual Christian believers have failed to achieve that unity for which Jesus prayed for us to have and for which the psalmist invited us to have for well over the 2,000 years of our existence. Sadly, we have become fragmented and divided often over the silliest of things. Worship styles. Forgetting 
that God is honored in all forms of worship. And if we think that our preferred style of worship is going to be the only style that we're going to find once we enter the kingdom of heaven, some of us may be sorely disappointed to discover that God enjoys all forms of worship that bring honor and glory to his name. We've become fragmented and divided over personality clashes that disrupt and hurt feelings, forgetting that forgiveness marks the Christian spirit and the Christian heart. We've become fragmented and divided over various interpretations of Scripture, over a variety of issues that divides the fellowship of God's people. We've even argued successively over the color of the carpet on the floor and the paint on the walls and which side of the sanctuary the organ and the piano should be placed on. And you kind of smile about that, but the truth be told, churches have divided over issues like that. And when we begin to argue and bicker and fight with each other, often what happens in the process is that we transform a brother or a sister in Christ into a hated and despised enemy, forgetting that we all play on the same team, forgetting Jesus' invitation for us to join hands and to be one, forgetting the invitation of what the psalmist tells us in 133, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. You know, it's hard to believe, but next year will be the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. 500 years that Protestants and Catholics have been divided. You may know a little church history, and so you may recall that Roman, the Roman Catholic Church and those who wished to bring reform and renewal to it divided almost 500 years ago, that split that occurred between us. You know, I read an article just in the last few days, and it reminded me of, of a reality that I've well known, and you probably do too, the official Roman Catholic position, doctrine, the stance, when it comes to sharing communion, the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper, the official Catholic stance is that unless you are a baptized Catholic, you cannot share in the bread and the cup. Now, the article was pointing out something, and I've experienced what this article pointed out, the article pointed out that there are pockets in Roman Catholic life, especially in retreat centers and monasteries and even in some parishes, where priests and monks are very open to sharing communion with other Protestants. And in fact, and uh, I, I'm not going to name these monasteries because I don't want to get them in trouble, but I've visited about six monasteries and every time I visited a monastery, I've made it known that I was Protestant. Occasionally, I've even breathed the word Baptist to them. And that I was a pastor. And do you know, in every case, I was invited to take the bread and the cup with the other worshipers who were present, whether they were Catholic, Protestant, whatever. And the article was saying, wouldn't it be wonderful in the 500th year of our division, if there would not be some way that we could not symbolize some sense of unity 
and oneness and togetherness among us. And what better way to do that than falling on your knees and giving thanks to the Lord for the gift of His Son and His sacrifice on that cross is symbolized by the sharing of the bread and the cup. But you know, teams often self-destruct. If you want to see a team self-destruct, just get the players at odds with each other, just get the coach or the coaches at odds with the players, and very quickly, you're going to find out that defeat is not too far away. The challenge that Psalm 133 gives us, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, the prayer that Jesus prayed for us that we would be one even as he is one with his Father is a difficult, difficult one to achieve as evidenced by the little um, statement that I found not too long ago that goes like this. To dwell above with the saints we love, that will be the glory. To live with the saints below, well, that's another story. I mean, Jesus' prayer sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But to dwell with the saints below, now that's another story. And yet the model of Jesus' oneness with his Father and abiding with him is that he talked about in John 17 and that same invitation for us to abide with each other, to be in friendship and fellowship with each other, to be one, to be unified with each other. Boy, that's a challenge, isn't it? I participate in a monthly gathering of local ministers here in our community. We meet once a month primarily for the purpose of friendship and fellowship and last but not least, food. The three F's. And you know, th this group has always intrigued me because it runs the gamut of the, of the denominational expressions in our community. There are several Baptists in the group, and of course you understand there are about 110,000 different Baptist groups, or I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it seems there's tons of Baptist groups, and so we've, we've got some free will Baptists that come, and uh, some Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, Baptists like us, have some United Methodist ministers, we have some Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, occasionally Catholic priests comes, and, and until just recently, we've even had um, a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Nicole Luna, who just left her congregation, Beit Shalom, here in Greenville, to take another congregation in Florida. And you'll remember we invited um, Rabbi Nicole to come to Oakmont two years ago during vacation Bible school, and she spent a night with us talking about the Jewish origins of our Christian faith, and then we went over to Congregation Beit Shalom, and uh, she talked to us about Judaism and about Jewish worship and, and other of their faith practices. But you know, it's just an, an ecumenical, diverse group of people, and we really have a good time getting to know each other just as people, forget the denominational labels. But I remember one time that we were in a conversation about the differences in our denominations. And I remember that, that one of the, the ministers, as we were discussing the different ways that we believe and the different practices of our faith, one of the ministers said, you know, out of a hundred different possible 
areas of faith and practice. He said, we probably agree, and I don't know why he picked this number, but he said, we probably agree on 92 out of 100. And then he paused for a moment, and he looked around the circle of that table. He looked at each of us, and he said, why let eight divide us? Why let eight areas divide us? I've got a challenge for us this morning, Oakmont Church family, as it relates to the oneness and unity that we have with each other and that we have with other Christians around the world. Most of you know that we have a special deacon study and listening team that is at work right now. They've been leading our church to have conversation and dialogue and listening to each other starting this past Wednesday night and will continue for the next two Wednesday nights. We had almost 90 people this past week, and you're invited, if you were not able to come this past Wednesday, to be here this, the next two Wednesday nights. We've been talking about, and or will talk about, three topics in these Wednesday night listening sessions. This past Wednesday, we talked about how does God speak? How does God reveal himself to us? through his written word, in our experience with the Holy Spirit, in our prayer life, as we interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ. How does God speak? How does God reveal himself to us? This coming Wednesday night, we're going to talk about what kind of church is God leading Oakmont to be in the days to come? And then the final Wednesday night, we're going to talk a little bit about leadership. What is it that constitutes leadership in a church, and what are some of the elements that go into that leadership? Now, you know, if churches are composed of human beings, and the last time I checked, we are, if churches are composed of human beings, the fact is we have and we will have disagreements with each other. You've heard me say before the old Baptist adage, find two Baptists, and you'll get three opinions. And it's true. You get two Baptists together, you get three opinions about something. And, and I don't think that Jesus ever sought to root out respectful and civil differences and disagreements among his children. But I do think that he saw the dangers of allowing those disagreements to pit us against each other. Jesus prayed in John 17 that God would keep his future disciples, meaning us, his future students, his future apprentices, that God would keep his future disciples from the evil one. Now, you can call him whatever you wish to call him. You can refer to the name of Satan or the devil or the evil one, as Jesus did in this text, or you can just call him the force of evil, whatever. But I believe that any time we seek, not only as a church, but as God's people in general, to be responsive to the working of God in our life, to the working of God in our church, to the working of God in our community and world, you can be for certain that the evil one will begin working overtime to seek to destroy our unity and our oneness of purpose. Now, that's why it calls us as God's people, I think, 
to an even greater depth of love and forgiveness of each other, lest the enemy do all he can to rip us apart. I believe that Jesus wants us to honor, and he wants us to respect our differences. But I also equally, equally believe that God's heart is pained and deeply saddened if we fall into the pit of loving our positions more than we love each other. There was a man back in the 17th century. His name was Rupertus Meldinius. How would you like to have that name? Rupertus Meldinius. He was a German Lutheran theologian. And in 1627, he wrote a phrase that has become the motto of the Disciples of Christ Church and the Moravian Church. And I think even other denominations reference this statement from time to time. And this is what he wrote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. You think about that for a moment in essentials, in the basics of what we believe as Christians, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, freedom. And in all things, charity, love. You know, if you were of the Mennonite persuasion, do you know that every six months, the pastor... And often, the local bishop comes also. But every six months, the pastor meets with every member of the congregation. They meet in the anteroom behind their place of worship, a little small room. How would you like to think that every six months you had to have a personal appointment with me for me to check you out on your spiritual life? Now, that'll put the fear of God in you right fast. I have people that come to see me and they walk down the little hallway to my office and without fail, people will say, I feel like I'm going to the principal's office. And I tell them, I, I don't want you to feel like you're going to the principal's office. You're at your pastor's office. You're at your friend's office. But can you imagine every six months, you go back to the little anteroom in the Mennonite community. You meet with your pastor, maybe the bishop's present. And they meet with you and ask you one question every six months. Here's the question. Are you living at peace with all men as far as it lies with you? Are you living at peace with all men? And I'm going to add, and women as far as it lies with you. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. When God's people join hands, not just in a local congregation, but across, across the globe, God's people, the church universal, when we finally get to the point that we understand that this church over here or that denomination, they're not the competitors. We're not in competition with them for more members or more money or better programming. 
having the best church in the community? Well, we understand that we're on the same team, that we ought to be joining hands with each other. And when we finally get to the point that we understand that God's church is not a rest home for the saints, it's a hospital for the sick, for the sin sick, for the broken, for the fallen of the world, which the last time I checked, that includes every one of us. When we finally get those kind of items firmly planted in our brains and maybe more importantly in our hearts, that's when God starts using his people in a powerful way. And that's when we start experiencing that peace and that unity for which Jesus prayed in John 17 and the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 133. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. May it be so, Lord. And all God's people said together, Amen. Friends, we're going to sing this morning the hymn in your hymnal, number 429. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And as we sing that hymn together, I always believe that when, and it doesn't matter who's reading the scripture and who's proclaiming his word, when that word is read and proclaimed, I believe the Holy Spirit's at work. And the Spirit has that capacity to speak beyond just my words or any pastor or preacher's words, any reading of the scripture. The Spirit can speak directly to your heart. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? It could be that there's someone here who's never made that first-time decision to become a Christ follower. If the case, I'd welcome hearing that decision or even beginning the conversation about what it means for you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and to follow him into the waters of baptism. Maybe you've been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. We invite people to go back to our prayer stations, and they're located in the back and on the corner here. And if you'd like to go back and pray with one of our ministers, or maybe you'd like to leave a prayer request, we have our staff ministerial prayer time every Monday morning, 930. You know we take the prayer needs and requests that you leave us, and we bring them to God on your behalf and join you in that. Maybe you'd light a candle that would symbolize that prayer that you would wish to offer God this day. And of course, there are other ways that you can make a decision to deepen your walk with Christ. And I hope that as we sing the hymn, you'll be thinking of it. So I'll be standing at the front. If I can pray with you, hear your prayer, hear your decision, if you wish to go back to one of the prayer stations, I hope you'll feel that freedom to move as we stand together and sing our hymn.
Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you. I want you to take just a moment and offer those words of peace and welcome to those who are around you this morning. Do that for me, please. Well, friends, I hope you've had a chance to offer words of welcome and peace and greeting to those who are around us. If, if you are a first-time or returning guest, it's good. You know, I always like to say when we enter this room, we're all on the same level playing field. We're all God's people. So welcome to all. I hope you'll take the Burgundy Fellowship pads in just a moment and pass them up and down your row. It'll give you a way to match some names and faces. And certainly welcome to those who are worshiping this morning with us by way of cable channel 7 or live streaming our services. As we continue to worship, we're going to do so by being generous givers, by returning to God His tithes and our offerings. So let me ask our ushers to come now as we receive our offering. <laughs> 